welcome to Box Cutters, episode 335, now with a free stay in Hong Kong. My name is Josh Canal. to my left, Dave Lawson. Good Guys, <laughs> <laughs> you almost did. A, you almost did croplies, didn't you? You almost did croplies. No, no, and, no I was uh, just thinking evening, morning doesn't actually matter these does, days. Doesn't matter. It, so it's just good. It's it's interesting that you say that because uh, on my right is Brett Cropley. Evening viewers, <laughs> and uh, everywhere, evening, I, no, no. every everywhere. But that's a hoax thing. Um, he does it because mm, of uh, hoax. I'm not going to steal you. Yeah, don't steal. Don't it? steal his. It's all he. It's all he has. Well, I'm just going to go with good. It's all he has left. <laughs> this I, is all about television. Box cutters, all about TV, and coming up in this episode, we have uh, an interview with uh, Ben McKenzie, mm-hmm. our favourite uh, anti-Hitler. True. And uh, he's, he's going to be talking about uh, songs and singles that are tied to TV shows. We're also going to be reviewing the US series, The Americans. We have one thing, we have pork. Uh, look, it's been... It's been an odd time. It's coming out of the uh, Easter break, and it seems so long ago now, but Good Friday, mm. and I know we've discussed it on this show before, but we're in Victoria, and every Good Friday, for as long as I remember, there has been the... Cha- Channel 7 has dedicated the entire day to the Good Friday telethon appeal. This raises money for Royal Children's mm. Hospital in, in Melbourne, and it's it's a great cause, and it is... Some of the shittest TV you are ever going to see in your life. I'm amazed that with all the things that have ended on television, that a telethon remains. Did, did either of you watch it? I love having the telethon on in the background. Yeah. I love just... It feels like Easter. I, for me, the telethon, I just remember of, uh, you're on school holidays. You know there's some Easter eggs just around the corner. Um, and I, I just enjoyed having it on and watching. You'd see someone from Home and Away read out some numbers, or one of your favourite football stars, or Jennifer Kite. The thing about the telethon, though, it used to be an amazing piece of television. Like everyone would watch the telethon, and everyone would be involved, and it was a, a great way that people could be involved in their community and and feel a part of it as well, while also maybe getting the chance to speak to uh, you know some guy from Cop Shop. Mm-hmm. As answering the telephone. The whole nature of the telephone, this is the only telephone that remains. We used to have telephones to help Australian teams go to go to the Olympics to, to try to raise money for that. Uh, going through my vinyl collection the other day, I found uh, the record that came out in conjunction with the Channel 9 Urella telethon. None of these things exist anymore. Mm. And uh, I, I just find it... I find it such, so strange. Like I'd be, I'd be sad if the Good Friday Appeal telethon left our screens, but at the same time, I don't watch it. They could just care. start a possible page, right? Or, or Children's Hospital just say we need fifteen mil. I, I wonder a couple of things. Is it now purely Channel Seven cross promotion? No, no, because they still raise a hell of a lot of money mm. for uh, for. So they, for they the still Royal have people Hospital. from places that aren't just Channel Seven shows. Oh no, they, no, they never had. They never had people from places that weren't Channel 7 shows. Maybe not the competition, but the Tony Bartuccio dances. Oh, that stuff. See, I didn't see any variety. So The only reason I watched the it, I, I only watched about 10 minutes of it because Glenn Peters called me up and said, uh, and said you have to turn on because it is, it is hilarious. They just did a cross to John Rooney, who was outside somewhere, and there was a, a kid with a backwards baseball cap 
behind her doing the kind of lingus sign with his fingers <laughs> and uh, and he was on camera for about 10 seconds until they moved the camera and then he moved to still be in the camera um and also like the 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 old days you'd you didn't have remote crosses like that's from memory it was it was all set in that one big studio with the the big curtain um and and also had maybe maybe australian tv's lost the ability to do variety style tv maybe we've maybe we've forgotten it's just about reading out names you want to hear your name you want to hear your name for 100 dollars for 150 if you read my name out i'll give i'll Bump it up to and the T- 150. TAB did something really, really impressive. Not betting on the the amount. No, on whether or not kids would get better. But <laughs> <laughs> no, they uh, so each uh, uh, each suburban TAB donated some money, and uh, but they did it individually, and so it, the oh. uh, along the screen it just said TAB Burwood, TAB. Burnsdale. We might find out more about that when we kick things off with the Box Cutters News. Of, uh, a couple of quick things in, in the news, and then uh, we're going to bring Ben McKenzie in uh, on the news because there are a couple of news items that uh, are close to his heart, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to introduce him just yet, so hold your horses. Just stay under the desk. Thanks, Ben. Just, j- Brett, you leave that alone. Uh, Rowena Wallace is trying to sell her Logie on eBay again. Well, this time it's uh, it's her silver logie, I believe. After being knocked back uh, three months ago, trying to sell her gold logie um, on eBay, uh, she's now put. So has Rowena uh, Wallace? She tried to sell one before and didn't sell it. Yes. So so Rowena Wallace was a gold logie winner mm-hmm. uh, back in the sons and daughters days. Um, she also won a silver logie. Uh, for uh, around that same time, she's uh, come upon hard times and needs a bit of cash. Got knocked back on on the gold one, uh, but uh, she's now come up with a a specific arrangement that allows her to uh, to auction off her silver one. What's bidding on it? At what sort of price is she asking? What range she get? A grand for it? Uh, it was bucks? listed at four thousand dollars. What's so it far, up to? No bids have been placed. Is there a buy now price? Four thousand. I find this. It's a bit sad. It is. It's, it, is, it is sad, odd, and awkward. Mm-hmm. Because selling, selling something that you've won, that we've already, and, you know, talking about on this show, we've already discussed on this show how it's kind of, like, it, it is losing its value quickly over time, the, the Logie, as, uh, as a coveted item, as something that is, that is meaningful. It is, it is less and less meaningful to the general public and more and more meaningful to... Uh, to the people who spend time and money and, and get the awards, uh, but the public doesn't care nearly as much uh, as as they used to. There was a time when selling a Logie would be unheard of, and now I think we've kind of gone through the transition from it being unheard of to it being a real concern to being, does anybody actually care? I don't understand. I don't think it's a great way to make money. I think uh, uh, it's a... So, I see something like this, and I think it's more a cry for help than it is a, an attempt to make money. Have you got more advice for Ro- Rowena Wallace to uh, to come back onto our screens and, and earn an income, Josh, that uh, can get her out of her little 
uh, state? Look, I believe Rowena Wallace and Shelley Long could do a, uh, a, a buddy, an aging female cop buddy movie. Yep. I think that would work well. What about a celebrity apprentice? We could get her on one of those or something, couldn't we? Has she done it already? What, uh, what? She did start asses, didn't she? What about, what about, start I have dancing. no, what about I have no money left makes you think that she would be great at Celebrity Apprentice? That's, that's not a bad name for a show. I have no money left. Oh, Rowena Wallace, I have no money left. Just get a whole lot of people who have got no money left. What will you do? What, what will you do? You are a terrible person. <laughs> you, you, do, you, do you mean like, are you prepared to get a cleaning job or are you prepared to, uh, to dance like a monkey? Yeah, lick the bin. Something like that. <laughs> that is terrible, Dave. If you don't lick the bin, you vote it off. That is horrible. <laughs> it's called lick the bin. <laughs> that is... We'll start off with six apps and we'll see how it goes from there. There's a whole lot of people lined up for the, to lick the bin. Yeah. And then the audience, lick the bin, lick the bin. Lick it, lick it. What will you lick? This next story is right up your alley then because uh, <laughs> lick it. In, in Japan... Uh, a, a television company has come up with a, a concept TV that actually elicits smells while you are watching the, the show. Tokyo University of Agriculture and Technology demoed the prototype uh, and it uses fans to blow the scent towards the viewer. Oh. So, uh, so you can actually kind of engage that extra sense with your, with your television. So you'd obviously have to top up your TV with the... It- You'd have to put some like cartridges, like printer cartridges, in it that would yeah, mix yeah, together, you would. and then put out the smell that you you need. You would. It's a it's a way to introduce consumables into in, into a television. Mm, I don't know if I'd buy one of those. And, and it reminds me of of three D television and how unnecessary that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings us to uh, the unnecessary that was. Three D TVs are not a thing anymore. It's done. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's done. It's done. We're finished with it. Sorry to all those people that spent four grand on your special glasses TVs. The only person who could access 3D TV now would be, like, you'd have to be a Time Lord. Ben McKenzie is aware of... He's a Time Lord? No, no, but he's Time Lord adjacent. Uh, He hosts a a podcast called Splendid Chaps with, uh, you might have heard of John Richards, did some stuff at Acme. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So uh, Ben hosts uh, Splendid Chaps, and I believe John is just his sidekick, and... Uh, he, uh, they talk about Doctor Who once, once a month, uh, in this, the 150th anniversary of Doctor Who, if you go forward in time. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being a very bad nerd by just allowing you to say all these incredible I'm saying, things. I'm just saying lies and lies just and lies. lies. Um, later on, later on in the show, Ben is going to tell us about the Doctor Who Star Trek spin-off, uh, spin-off, uh, crossover series. Yeah. Yeah, but that, right now... I'm not going to talk about that because it's a comic. It's not a TV show. Ah. ah uh, really thanks, thank you for say, staying on topic. It's fine. Uh, but, Ben, 3D Doctor Who TV movie. Is 3D the thing that is missing from Doctor Who? Look, I, no, I don't think it is. I Look, I own a 3D TV because I had never owned a TV and I came into a bit of money and I went, look, I'm going to buy a TV and I bought the best one I could find. And at the time, every awesome TV you could get had 3D because everyone assumed it was going to be the next big thing and they all had various different things. I've never used it. I've owned that TV for three or Mm. four years. I've now got a Blu-ray player and some films that are in 3D. I don't watch them in 3D. 
what was the point? I've got to get glasses for do, everyone in the do room. Do you know where the glasses are? Yeah, I do. They're in the box that they came in. <laughs> <laughs> I've never taken them never out. Never take them out, never put the battery in. No, I think they come with the battery in, actually. Mm. Oh, you should check that then, because if they've been sitting in a box for three years, Might they, be they, could have, they, they could have gone acidity. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe not. But no, I, I don't think Doctor Who needs 3D. It, I think if there was any program the BBC were going to put in 3D, this... I think this was always going to be it. Surely it's only going to lead to, to him throwing the sonic screwdriver at the camera a lot more, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. The other thing, I mean, I always said that I would never watch 3D TV. In fact, I'm not really interested in 3D film or television. I'm not interested in anything more than two-dimensional film and television until they choose to actually represent all 13 dimensions that mm-hmm. exist. So either all of them or, or nothing. It's 11 or 13, depending on which version of string theory you subscribe yep. to. But the interesting thing is, right? so the, the BBC is going to make Doctor Who in 3D. Great. But in January, the controller for BBC North went on record saying 3D TV is dead. It's worthless. We're not going to do it. But they're still going to make the anniversary special in 3D. It just doesn't make any sense. They can't even make up their own minds at the BBC what's going on with 3D TV. Ben, I also, I also want to talk to you about uh, our, our next story because you're, yes. uh, you're quite a prominent uh, feminist around town. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I like to... Try and be feminist. Yes, it's you, true. You, you, uh, you, you know, you, you, you go to f- feminist evenings and and speak on feminist topics, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's 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 no secret. I think mm. I think you can be proud of that now. Thanks. Mm. Now you can. Thanks. <laughs> no, I, I'm not proud of it. I uh, I think you know it's it's just something you should do. White males are still still hold the majority in uh, in American writing rooms for, for TV. It's true. Which is not a surprise. We spoke about this a, a few weeks ago with uh, Courtney and Brenner, and uh, and they were saying a, a very similar thing happens in Australia with TV comedy, that, uh, that TV comedy is almost all male writers. Uh, Ben, where where do you where do you sit on on this? Obviously, a lot of writers are getting their jobs because of uh, opportunities of being in the right place at the right time, being talented. Like you can't discount any of any of these things with the people who do get hired. Mm. How do do you think these organisations are uh, justifying themselves enough? The, the various shows and the various production companies are justifying themselves enough for their lack of diversity. I don't. Well, I don't think there's really a justification for it. I mean, it's a, it's a systemic problem. It's not you know you can't go to any particular show and say you guys should have more women writing for you and you should have more minority writers. You should have more people of this particular kind. Uh, I mean, you can't put that finger on any particular team of writers or particular production team, but. It's because it's a it's a, it's the same thing when you talk about bias in television itself. When you're talking about characters, it also it carries over into the behind the scenes, where when you see that there's a systemic bias and you see that it's occurring across the board, where every television show is written predominantly by middle-aged white men, then then there's a problem, and you can't really justify, oh, that's okay, because the only reason it's okay is because our society still assumes that white you know, middle-aged men are running everything. And, uh, you, you know, there's, there's not a justification for it outside that system. I mean, if you watch an episode of Community, which has a, a fairly high ratio of, of female writers, for example, like nearly 40%, which is very high for an American comedy show, um, and there's, there's no discernible difference in quality between the episodes written by women and, and men. Like, they write just as many good and bad episodes as, as, women, as the men do um, to pick a group, you know, for example. But I think 
it would be great if someone took the initiative. And the reason it's important is because people do what they see as possible. And if women only ever see men working in media, in television, and I'm aware I'm saying this in a podcast that is currently staffed entirely by white men, but if you only see or hear male voices, uh, and if you only see scripts written by men, then you, you know, it's, it seems like a barrier to entry. And it is, because it's, it self-perpetuates. Just to put this into perspective, I am a minority, so okay. you know we we can we can fill that in. I'm a ginger, but that doesn't really count as a minority. I just want to make that clear. Yeah, there might be less of us, but there's not really any significant consequence to that. Uh, you were saying before uh, off air that Doctor Who uh, is getting into a, a bit of trouble because uh, yeah. of lack of female writers. There's been a lot of debate about this. There's been some articles written about the fact that there are so few women writers on the reboot of Doctor Who. And, of course, there were very few women writers and directors working on the original series of Doctor Who. I can only think of one off the top of my head. But uh, the, it's, been, it's been particularly prevalent now that Stephen Moffat is running the show. So if you look at his history, he's a really interesting character as a writer, Stephen Moffat, because he started off doing Press Gang, where you've got these fantastic female protagonists uh, and more than one of them. So you've got this sort of scope of different female characters in the show of varying levels of competence, intelligence and cunning and, and all this sort of stuff. So there's no one woman who represents all women in Press Gang, which is one of the important things about it as a show. And it's great from that respect. And then you look at something like Coupling that he wrote, and a lot of it's just sexist nonsense. It's awful. Like it plays on the most mainstream stereotypes of, you know, the differences between men and women like you'd hear in a mainstream comedy, stand-up comedy room. And you can see... <coughs> Sorry. That's okay. A bit of a cough. That's bit of a cough there. It's all right. Uh, yeah, but you would see... And you can see that carried over into Doctor Who. The way he writes the women in Doctor Who is that while, yes, they might be strong and they might be proactive, they're also really... Like, they're also very fantasy characters. I was talking um, to a friend of mine about I forget which one it was. We were talking about the Christmas special and the new companion, Clara, is played by a beautiful young actress when she first meets Matt Smith's doctor and he's, you know, this sort of tweedy, nerdy, you know, young guy. Um, she just immediately starts flirting with him and kissing him and you're like, there's been no... Why? Why is that? This doesn't... This is set in Victorian London. Like, this is not the standard for attractive men and you've just met him in an alleyway. It's, it was weird. And there's certainly touches of that through a lot of the stuff he writes. In Are you saying there's something bad about her being a slut? Are you slut shaming her? Ben? No, this is that is what fine. you're doing? It's fine so, for because her. Because to... first, first here on Box Cutters, Ben McKenzie, slut shaming. Oh, no. Oh, yes, I am. I am slut shaming Doctor Who's companion for snogging him on the first meeting. No, uh, no, of course I'm not doing that. But, it's yeah it's it's a really it's written very much it feels like in some cases like a fantasy a male fantasy of a female character and of course since the show's come back we've had almost exclusively female companions like you've had two or three kind of secondary companions up until Rory who was a great sort of break from that tradition but it's always women playing the second banana and, and women particularly young attractive women um apart from Donna who was a bit older still an attractive woman obviously but you know that was breaking that mould a little bit. Whereas in the old series, there's this idea that that's what it was always like. But in the old series, the characters were very diverse, like all kinds of women. I mean, most uh, yes, there were more women than men, but still heaps of them doing different I, things. My understanding from the old days, uh, and I know this from listening to a, a very authoritative podcast about uh, Doctor Who, 
uh, was that the actors brought uh, a lot of their their own characterizations. The, the, the actors actually had uh, possibly a lot a lot more say in the nature of the characters because of the factory way that the that the show is being produced. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's kind of missing from from the new one? Absolutely. I mean, in those days, the show was about plot primarily. And so any characterization that came in did largely come from the actors. But even then, you still saw what the characters were scripted to do. They didn't have, obviously, latitude with that. The script said you you sneak up on this person and knock them out, and you do that. But just recently, I've been watching some of the fourth Doctor stories, and you see things like not just Leela, who obviously is sort of this savage, you know, noble savage, in inverted commas, kind of character who comes from a, a, a group of people who are all... Uh, reverted to sort of um, a tribal sort of attitude and way of life and they're all wearing animal skins and stabbing people with knives and she does a lot of that kind of fighting and sneaking up on bad guys but even watching someone like sarah jane the archetypal doctor who companion she's always very resourceful like she the doctor gets knocked out she pretends to be unconscious and then waits till the villain's gone away and wakes up and goes after him to try and find out how she can help him escape and then um, you know, she'll dress up in disguise and she'll you know, fight people off. And, and so she's being quite, if not proactive, then at least well, often proactive, but she's always doing things and being active. So that's not a new idea that the new series has brought in. But what the new series has done is because it's now this massive flagship program of the BBC, it's much more tightly controlled by the showrunner. So Russell T Davies and now Stephen Moffat have every say in what the characters are going to be like and who they are. And you can see from that it's it's always a bit disappointing. And it, it still changes a bit from writer to writer as well. Like Martha was a great example of that. She started off as an interesting, intelligent young woman who was studying medicine. Uh, and she was a minority character. She was a black woman. And then uh, after about two or three episodes, people forgot that. And they just wrote her as, you know, they, they forgot that part of her character. They just started writing her as this character who was in love with the doctor who didn't love her back. And they made it about a romantic relationship instead. So she lost all of that sort of interesting part of her. 30 years ago, writing for science fiction was, I'm going to say, really sexist. There were some really, really sexist elements in a lot of science fiction about about 30 years ago. Do you think that uh, it, it's... It, like, we, we've made much progress in, in that time with... Uh, the the inclusion of women writers and uh, and the uh, betterment of, of women characters, or, uh, or or do you think we still have a long way to go? I think we still have a long way to go, and I say this a lot about. I mean, one of the f- the first time I was here on Box Cutters, I was talking about geek culture in response to the Big Bang Theory, and sexism is one of the areas where geek culture really shows its ugly side. I mean, when you see a list of nominations for like the Hugo or the Aurealis or the big science fiction and fantasy awards, and they do include TV writing as a category, women almost never get nominated. When they do, uh, sometimes there's a backlash. There was a recent, I forget which awards it was, it might have been the Nebula Awards. It was one of the, one of the big sci-fi awards. There were a lot of women in the list as writers, and there were people complaining about it. Like well, this, they wrote the best books, they got nominated, just you know, or the best TV shows or whatever it was, and that you see that backlash, and that's been going on in the argument about female writers and Doctor Who. People are trying to justify it because they like the show and they feel that this is an attack on the show, and geeks and nerds have a tendency. It's sort of the bad thing about our nature is because we so love what we love, we take attacks on those things. We can take them personally. 
and respond to them as if it's a personal attack, you know, on yourself or your, your mother or something like that. And it's not an attack. It's a criticism. And there's a big difference. And the criticism is quite clearly, like, you know, no, there's been no woman right for Doctor Who since 2008. And I think there's only been two or three women right for Doctor Who. In fact, I don't even know if that's if been that many. It might have been one or two since it's come back. And that's a, that's a valid criticism. It's like, mm. where is the female voice? If you claim to be putting the companion into a more prominent role so that there is a female protagonist in the show, then why not let a woman write? for it as well like why not get that perspective and why not find out what other people think and that is the box cutters news hello i'm paul verhoeven from steampunks and when i'm not flensing things in the dark i'm listening to box cutters oh yeah hey brett ben mckenzie's here that's awesome He's, uh, he's, he's come in uh, to talk to us about a, a topic that he doesn't usually talk about which is music mm. music and television particularly songs mm-hmm. Tied to television programs. Ben McKenzie, welcome to Box Cutters. It's lovely to be here. Thanks it's for coming in. It's been so long since yeah. my last visit. Uh, it's, it's lovely to be back. It's nice, it's nice to have you. Tell us, tell us about how songs are used in, in TV. Well, I, I mean, the thing I found out, when I started thinking about this topic, I realised that this is something that's fascinated me for a long time, and it didn't come to me until quite late when I was going, oh, yeah, there's this song, there's that song. And I remembered an album I had when I was a kid, uh, which was called Father Abraham in Smurfland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's this Father Abraham sort of does this sort of very traditional, I don't know what kind of music it was, who knows, um, but sort of, it's sort of the kind of music you would hear in Fiddler on the Roof. It's that kind okay. of music. Like, like klezmer. Yeah, music it's or... sort of chanting and, and you know, okay. you can imagine. And, and sort of very traditional, oldie-timey songs. But in this album, he's singing the, the songs with the Smurfs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Right, so this would have been around the chipmunk craze yeah. as well, around the same time? but I was never into the... The chipmunks I just found really annoying, whereas the Smurfs... And this, uh, to be honest, this album is basically the, the chipmunks with the serial numbers filed off. Uh, and they've just <laughs> said, no, they're Smurfs, so there's way more than yeah. three of them. And they don't have distinct voices, they're just a chorus of Smurfs. There's no, there's no uh, pesky elven who's always... Out there's of the room or something. Gargamel, Gargamel. He doesn't An appear on the room? album. Mm. Yeah, it's just the Smurfs singing with Father Abraham. But I always thought that was there. it was weird. Uh, but I was also fascinated with TV theme songs, and then from there I started to get into songs that were about TV or from TV shows. And there's so many of them, and it's it's weird the variety of them that there are. And I think the reason I got into them, particularly after I realised that, that that was when I was really young, Father Abraham Smurfland. But then I was a huge goodies fan. I loved the goodies. And, of course, the goodies were massive in the UK. They had, in 1975, they had three songs that hit the top ten in the UK. They were on top of the pops performing the Funky Gibbon. No. They were. And, you, you, I mean, you can get the footage of it. I, I don't know if it's on YouTube, but I've seen it as a clip. I think it's an extra on one of the DVDs. And it's, it's quite extraordinary to see these three men, one of whom... Bill Oddie, who described himself as a frustrated pop star, is clearly loving it. And the other two, Tim and Graham, kind of shitting themselves a bit, going, we're on top of the pops. What are we doing here? We're comedy writers. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I don't know what's going on. Uh, And it was, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, But I I was just fascinated by that. And there's so many weird songs that have come out of TV. And it's not just... So there's basically the two kinds that I got really interested in. There's songs from TV shows and there's songs about... TV shows and the ones from TV shows kind of take a couple of forms so there's ones that you see on a TV show where someone performs it in character and then there's also ones where the actor wants to have a pop career 
And so they go and record a single, sometimes as themselves, but referring to the TV show, and sometimes more or less in character. And, the, you know, the big famous one for that being Star Trek, of course. Leonard Nimoy and, and, um, and William Shatner both tried to have pop careers yes. with varying levels of success. But Leonard Nimoy's big single was called Highly Illogical, which he more or less sings in character as Spock, oh. where he talks about how he's come to Earth. Somehow he's, in, he's on 20th century Earth because the Earth he describes is not like the one in Star Trek. Well, that, that would be uh, Star Trek Four. Yeah. So I guess uh, he, he was prescient because it was released before the film came out. But yeah, he talks about all the weird things that he sees on Earth. And it, it's kind of like, it's like I was saying earlier, uh, on the last time I was on Box Cutters all that time ago, that it's sort of, he talks about a lot of the things you would hear in a very sort of lazy stand-up routine, where he talks about, oh, you know how you all get in cars and you drive around? It's highly illogical. Take the case of your automobiles. Greatest invention since man discovered wheels. Hydromatic overdrive, four on the floor. Push-button windows, push-button doors. Double-barrel carburetors rush you any place, but you never can find a parking space. Highly illogical. And there's heaps of them from Doctor Who. There's loads for some reason. And a lot of them come out of the 60s, when uh, particularly the Dalek craze was massive. And there's some great examples of the song that's about a TV show. So there's a band called the Go-Go's who tried to have a Christmas hit single, which was called I'm Going to Spend My Christmas with a Dalek, which is one of the worst songs you'll ever hear. So this is not the Belinda Carlisle Go-Go's. No, this is, this is, this is some random 60s band who I, I'm pretty sure didn't have any big hits. Right. Apart from I'm Going to Spend My Christmas with a Dalek. And it is very much a bit of a novelty track. Like it sounds like a song from the era but it's got this weird kind of i'm pretending to be a little girl vocal on it which just comes across slightly creepy because it's clearly not actually a little girl singing it and then they've got a dalek voice the dalek voice doesn't say any of the dalek things in the chorus it just says merry christmas <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the lyrics are completely they're written by someone who's never even watched the program because they talk about feeding sugar to the dalek and hanging mistletoe off his big toe daleks don't have feet it's it's horrendous i bring you greetings from all daleks It's continued on, like it's something that's still happening now. One of the more recent examples was on Mad Men, 
uh, we had uh, Don, one of Don Draper's wives, uh, performing a song called Zuby Zuby Zoo, which was on the TV show. Mm. Uh, and then it was released the next day after it was broadcast. It was released as a single on iTunes and on vinyl. And it was uh, quite a considerable hit because a lot of people hadn't heard it before. And I think it was probably a hit because, you know, they've got a sexy woman singing a sexy song, doing a sexy dance in the TV show. Uh, and some people are like, yeah, that's great. Let's. But, we'll but this was a that. song of the time. It was a song that was released back then. Yeah, it was a and song from the era. But the, the actor playing uh, Don Draper's wife was... Oh, this is terrible that I refer to her as Don Draper's wife. It shows you how much attention I've played to Mad Men over the years. But... Um, uh, yeah, Megan Draper. She's singing it in character at a party, right. and it's you know it's a plot point in the episode where some of the guests are a bit affronted by her, you know, sort of sexy dancing. She's doing it French. I don't know if she actually is she actually French that character. I can't remember. Uh, you, is, you you lost me at, at Mad Men. I thought enough. I thought their marriage broke up. I have no mm. idea. Oh, she's not his first wife. She's oh, a, she's a later wife. This is in season. Uh, Five, I think, yeah, the first episode, season five. Right. So it was also a promotional thing for the TV show, which, of course, a lot of these songs are. Un, deux, trois, quatre. A bit come out of Neighbours as well. A lot of pop stars in Neighbours. Delta Goodrum was in Neighbours. Was she a pop star in Neighbours? She was. She she had a song. She had a song in Neighbours, but and they 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 released it as a single, but it it wasn't as huge. Sort of. Yeah. Most Uh, of the Neighbours stars sort of went on to success after they left the show. Angry Anderson's song that was uh, played during Scott and Charlene's wedding Mm. uh, went on to be a huge hit (laughs) all over the world, obviously. uh, at least, at least in Australia, in UK. I, I remember it, and mm. po- possibly in the UK. But yeah, that was a, a huge hit for Angry Anderson when he did that. Uh, oh wow! That song for Scott and Charlene. Yeah, that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, even for other, and if it's not a song about the show, but if a band gets their song in a show these days, it seems to really launch them. That's huge. And there's there's specialist websites now where you can go, and all they do is they list TV shows and episodes, and then they list what the songs are oh, that okay. played oh. during them. So if you hear a song in the TV show and you want to download it, you can go there and look up what the song is. And I found out there's like three of them. Um, I couldn't decide which one was the best one, so I'll let, I'll let listeners Google them and, and find out which one they like. Oh, can, you, can you just give us a link to one, uh, one that you thought was adequate? I'll, uh, just I'll just send that to me later. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll, put it, I'll put it in the show notes and you, you'll be able to find that at boxcutters.net slash episode 335. The Welcome Back Cotter theme song. That's a big. It was a big hit, I believe. It was a huge hit before the show. So they released the song before the show started. Mm. So this is kind of the the, the opposite effect. You're you're talking about the show, uh, the, the show coming out, uh, having the sh- the song in the show, and then and then releasing it. a big hit, yeah. Uh, but the uh, that that show that, that for Welcome Back, Cotter, I believe they released the song early. It became a huge hit. And then was the themes it was that that was kind of what led people into watching the show. So the show was based on the song. No, 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 no. They, they, they weren't based on. They were that the song was made for the show. Created but, a bit of hype. But created a bit of hype for the yeah. show. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, the Simpsons. Do you remember the, the Simpsons used to have albums of songs oh, from yeah. the show? That was one of the first albums I ever bought. Was uh, not a soundtrack album. It was called The Simpsons Sing the Blues, and I mm-hmm. bought it on cassette back mm-hmm. in the '90s. And that was just it was the characters from the show singing songs from the pro uh, well not from the program about the program in character. So you had like uh, Mr. Burns singing a song. Uh, what's it? Oh, I forgot what it's called. But it's a, it's a, look at all those idiots. It's called and it's all about the workers in the factory and how he hates them all and they're not working hard enough. And he particularly picks on um, he picks on Homer Simpson. And there's one bit. Oh, there's a great bit in it where he just says, "Smithers, play a guitar solo." And Smithers goes, yes, sir, and plays a guitar solo, and it just keeps going. And Mr. Smith and Mr. Burns is just commenting on it throughout it. It's all this, all this completely in-character stuff. But then, and then there's and there's it gets a bit meta, like because that one's like clearly they're not really singing a song. It's meant to represent the, a conversation they've had. But then there's Lisa Simpson's one is she gets the opportunity to go in and record a song as if the Simpsons are real people playing characters in a TV show. And so she's been invited to come and record a song in the studio and she gets into the studio and there's commentary at the start of it where she says, is everything okay, Lisa? And there's like this, you know, electric organ playing in the background. She says, yeah, I just have one small request. No synthetic sound, please. I want all live instruments. And then there's the sound effect of all these things being dragged out (laughs) and pushed into the studio. And she sings a cover of, um, uh, God bless the child, and it's and there's actually some really beautiful stuff on that album, as well as some very silly, funny stuff. It's it's a bit bizarre concept, but it got you to yeah uh, to to hand over your pocket money for well, it. Well, that was the one with the massive single, which was "Do the Bartman," which right. came out oh, the first right. first year or two I of the Simpsons, that and that was on that album. And so was uh, "Deep Deep Trouble," which was the other hit single off that album, which, which is yeah. the narration by Bart. It was sort of not really a rap song, but it's, sort of it's spoken. like a kind of Fresh Prince style. Yeah, a rap song, but nowhere near as good. Almost William Shatner esque. Mm. And that was my favourite one of all time, though. Is another Doctor Who one. So in 1972, when Doctor Who was massively successful, and John Pertwee had been doing it for this was his third year, he recorded a song called "Who Is the Doctor," and it was written and produced, I think, by one of the guys from Deep Purple. And it was a reimagining of the Doctor Who theme song, slightly different meter which is sort of... And people vacillate about whether it was more disco or more prog rock. I sort of think of it as kind of a combo of the two, the song underneath. And then he just speaks these lyrics over the top. But unlike a lot of the William Shatner stuff, it's incredibly good. So, so like Marlene Dietrich it, style. It's, oh, it's a bit more rhythmic than that. And he's doing it... But the, he's doing it in character as the Doctor. And he's describing his battle against evil. Uh, and we, we got a guy, um, Tim Fitzheim, who's an English comedian. We got him to cover it for one of the episodes of Splendid Chaps. And it made me go back and really read the lyrics. And I'm like, these are genius. Like he's talking about how, you know, he's, his satanic powers in the night, he's going to go out and fight them. And it really sums up the themes of his character as the Doctor and what he gets up to. And it's just a really lovely song. It's a little hard to find. It got re-released on a, an album of Doctor Who songs. Most of the other ones... Not really worth listening to. Um, Fraser Hines, who played Jamie in the late 60s, he had a go at a pop career with a song called Who's Doctor Who. It's pretty awful. Um, but, yeah, the I John Poetry. I want to listen to that one. Yeah. I cross the void beyond the mind. The empty space that circles time. I see where others stumble blind. To seek a truth they never find. Eternal wisdom is my guide. I am the doctor. Through cosmic 
So look, t- tell me, tell me about your podcast, Ben McKenzie. Podcast, t- 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 tell me about that. Well, it's a 50th anniversary podcast because it's uh, 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Podcasts this year. haven't even been going for 50 years. I know. <laughs> it's a time traveling podcast. Okay. Yeah, we're actually from the year 2028 when they have been going for 30 years. <laughs> I don't know how long they've been around for, uh, but yeah, we're celebrating t- the 50th. 2004. Okay, 2004. All right, so we're we're from 2054 and we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of podcasts by going back in time to 2013 and making a podcast about the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Wow. And what we decided to do, because we're crazy, is do everyone as a live show. So we're doing one a month from January to November about each of the 11 Doctors and a theme about the show. And uh, John, Richards and I host it. We have our co-host Petro, who is our announcer. So it's a bit she more... She's fantastic, fantastic job. She has a great voice. Like, I knew she would be perfect for it. And so she, she announces us, she announces the guests. We have a, at least a couple of guests each show who come on and talk about the era of that particular Doctor and the theme. Um, we end with a song, and we also have some information, like we have a, a historical background to the era in which Doctor Who was being made at that time, and we have a biography of the actor playing the Doctor. And we've, we're doing 11 of them. And you're actually doing two shows in April. We are, because Tom Baker, obviously most popular Doctor, and we thought we'd take the opportunity to do it as part of the comedy festival and find out which comedians in the festival were big Doctor Who fans. So we're doing two episodes, one where we talk about Tom Baker, which is going to be with a friend of Box Cutters, Paul Verhoeven. Excellent. And Dave Callan. And then we're doing a later show, which is about comedy in Doctor Who, with uh, Adam Richard from Outland and also a secret UK guest who we are not allowed to name, but she's awesome. Ah, oh, good. A, a woman, because I was, I was a bit worried that there weren't enough women guests on Friendly, uh, on Splendid Chaps. We have more women guests than Doctor Who has women writers. That's I good. Think, That's good. Think, you know. So wh- what are the dates of those and where can people buy tickets? The early show is at 5.45 on April the 6th. The late show is at 10.45 on April the 13th. You can get tickets via the link on splendidchaps.com or you can look us up. Uh, ben McKenzie and John Richards, Splendid Chaps, on the Comedy Festival website, which is comedyfestival.com.au. Starts, starts at B, so if you're going through the alphabetical order, you'll find us fairly quickly. Click, click it on B. Dave Lawson, did you have one more thing to say? No, no. Ben McKenzie, thank you very much for joining us on Box Cutters. It's been a pleasure. Hi, my name's Rod Quantock, and you may know me from such films as... Well, I never made a film, but that's not the important thing. I'm here on the Box Cutters. It's a podcast, and I'm told it's on the internet. So get to the internet, look up podcast, look up Box Cutter, press enter, and shit, you might hear me. The Americans is a show from the FX network, or cable, basic cable channel in the US, uh, that stars Kerry Russell and Matthew Reese as a couple of KGB agents who have been sent to America to live and work as spies. They have their own suburban life in uh, just outside Washington, D.C., and their job is to collect intelligence for Russia and send it back to Russia. It's set in 1981 at the height of the Cold War. Ronald Reagan has just become President of the United States, and this th- these, these are interesting times for the relationship between the USSR and the USA. These two people, played by Kerry Russell and Matthew Reese, the Jennings family, Philip and Elizabeth Jennings, are in the middle of it all. That's the, that, that's the, the premise of the show. We are watching and sitting behind 
KGB agents as they try to take out their missions against the United States. This is a show made in the United States, created by Joe Weisberg, who was a CIA officer and uh, quit the CIA to become a writer and a high school teacher, wrote a novel. The novel was picked up by a, a TV producer who found out that Weisberg had also been starting to write this TV series, and uh, and they ended up getting it made. I think it's a really interesting series. Mm-hmm. I think it, uh, it. I think it. Not only from the interesting perspective and unexpected perspective part, but also from the uh, the the concept of how much drama there is in every episode. Dave, you've uh, you, you've watched a bunch of it over the yeah over the weekend. Um, two and a half episodes. I could sit through. Oh, look, I enjoyed it, but I just don't care about them. The family, I. They're the good guys or the bad guys. Well, this is what's interesting about yeah. it. That they are they're these KGB agents. So you're not supposed to be going for them. You're supposed to be, I suppose, going for the for the FBI. But I don't. I, I didn't like them. This family. I just wanted them to get caught and kneecapped or whatever they want to do to them. Um, that was the problem. That I didn't really care for anyone in it, especially that the family. Kerry Russell, who played Felicity. Yep. She's in it. She hasn't got the curly, the tight curls these days and she's and her and her husband can fight a bit can't they yeah they're, so well they've got they're skills trained. they've got pretty mad skills when it comes to taking out people um and i did like a couple of the other i when i watch these shows i really enjoy it when someone says something you go Ooh, wouldn't have said that if i was you <laughs> like i think it's in maybe the first episode where the he's the the his teenage daughters at the shops and some older creep cracks onto him and you go, well, well you're going to get it later. I kind of I enjoyed those side stories where he turns up in disguise. But he reminded me too, the guy who plays... Who plays the um, the the dad? KGB dad? Oh, Matthew Reese. Matthew Reese. He, he, he reminded me a bit of Zach Braff from time to time. Oh, yeah. So and when he's in his disguise, because they get heavily disguised to sort of go undercover, it seemed a... I don't know. I'd go. You look, mate. You're just wearing a wig. <laughs> um, but normally, yeah, I, I I won't be going back you, you're for not, more. You're not going back. But I, look, I'll, it's interest. It's, it is an interesting story. But for me, I didn't care about the characters at all, or enough to invest any more time in them. Right. Brett, you've uh, how much of the Americans have you watched? Everyone that's available. Right, you love it. I, I do. I, I have been very much enjoying it. There was there was one where uh, they the, the, there had been a mole found somewhere, or they they figured out that some there was a mole. Mm-hmm. That uh, the storyline I thought was very obvious. It, it it wasn't. So so they get abducted and and you, yeah. you're not supposed to know what's going on, but it was quite obvious what was going on. So that was that was all a, a little bit too kind of trite and, and telegraphed and stuff. But I think that, that at other times it doesn't spoon feed the audience, like talking about uh, we have to go to Operation Charlie, I think it was, and, and oh, you think it's you think it's time for a guerrilla war? Yeah. And, and then it just moves on. It doesn't go into, yeah, this is going to happen, blah, 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 like just giving all the, all the details about what was going on with that. Um, the exposition was, was handled quite well with a couple of flashbacks in, in the uh, pilot episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but then it doesn't rely on that too much going forward. I, I, re- I really like the show. Uh, I 
don't find the characters likable. So, so mm. I, I think you, you're, you're spot on there, Dave. I don't think we're meant to like any of them. I think we're meant to see every single part of this as a terrible part of our world. Right. So we're we're not and that's that's one of the reasons I like this show. I think it's 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 trying something a little bit different where we're not really supposed to have uh empathy with any of them. You don't want anyone to to win or you don't, get you on don't, top. You don't want anyone to win and you know who wins in the end anyway. Right? You you know mm. what the you it's know like what episode the episode 3 of Star Wars. Y- yeah, what's the point? Although episode 3 of Star Wars was the best of those 3. Anyway, let's not get into that. Um, and and you no, know, no, that, Ben McKenzie really loves Phantom Menace. And the, those, uh, those relationships do kind of change as as the series continues. Um, about you know how how, how nationalistic uh, Kerry what's her face Kerry Russell Kerry Russell is, um, and and how how that's kind of the the foundations of her you know, love for the mother country are kind of shaken because of the actions that go on in one of the particular episodes. I, I really think that uh, the the episode that you spoke about, Brett, where where it's obvious, and this is they, they've been abducted. We're meant to think that, or, or it seems like we're meant to think that they've been abducted by Americans who are trying to get them to talk. You cummy bastard! And and it's <laughs> and it's really obvious to us, the audience, that. They're not Americans because we know what the FBI is is doing at this at this point in time. We know what their operations are. are. True, but the CIA doesn't. The FBI doesn't know what the CIA. Yeah, but the doing. C- CIA is not a not a, not a character in this show. I think I think we're meant to assume that they that it is KGB. I think that that part of it is the is that the build up of tension around or well, what are they going to do when they find out what what is what is this couple who have devoted their entire life and sacrificed everything that they have to serve the USSR what are they going to do when they find out that their government has turned on them uh just out, out of out of, on a whim mm. what's going to happen i think that that whole thing is building up to to that tension. I think this show builds tension really well. Uh, watching watching an episode uh, last night uh, in anticipation of recording this, I realised that what it has that the following doesn't have, and uh, Lyndall and I was discussing the, the, the like comparing it, and what, what this has that the following doesn't have is this has conflict on so many different levels. It has internal conflict, it has romantic relationship conflict, it has family conflict... And it has international conspiracy conflict all happening at the same time. And these characters have to deal with every single one of those levels of conflict throughout the, throughout each each episode. And not, not from an informed perspective. So nobody's well, that really is that, sure that conflict exactly what's that going I on. Well, did find interesting is that these two have been, Elizabeth and Matthew, have been put together as a married couple. So obviously they've had children together, but that, uh, testing that as well, obviously, is is it a real? Are they really in love? Was it? That's and this and this goes on, and this is this is an ongoing theme right. throughout the th- throughout the series. Uh, what what does an artificial relationship actually mean? Mm. And what does uh, and all of this it, everything in this ep- in this series is an artificial relationship. The Cold War is a, an artificial antagonism over, uh, over ideology. 
right? And and it goes so it goes from as as low as what is the relationship that we have to to our children and how real is it? At what point do the lies stop? Is there any part of of their whole lives where is there any part of all of our lives where lying is not a major part of it? That's what I really like uh, about mm-hmm. the Americans. It's it's not without its flaws. I, I think there are there are some clunky bits. There are some uh, boring bits. There's maybe some unnecessary tension. It's got probably the best use of Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. <laughs> yeah, it does. That I've ever seen. Any use of Tusk is the best use of Tusk. Although they didn't use the drum solo at all through that entire episode. I found the first episode. Uh, the first episode did not grab me. I wasn't that. I wasn't that into it. I mean, I, was, I had to look at it and go. This is going a long to- time. I wasn't. It did. It did feel really. I long. mean, it's a long pilot episode. I yeah. think it's a, what about 70, 70 minutes or something. Sixty-nine minutes. Yep. yep. Um, it, it's it's a period piece, but it doesn't kind of play that up too much. No, which is a relief. Yeah, I, I like I like that too. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's interesting. It's going to be on Channel Ten later on this year for Australian viewers who might want to might want to watch it. But if you have a multi-region DVD player and it's out on DVD before then, I'd, I'd recommend just buying it because who knows what Channel 10 is going to do to it. <laughs> That's The Americans. You can find it uh, later on this year on your screens or, look, probably it might find its way onto your computer. Look, he's still in the studio, so it's it's worth putting the question out. Ben McKenzie, if you're going to watch one thing this week, what would it be? It'd probably be the second episode of the second half of season seven of Doctor Who, which has just started up again this Easter weekend. Oh, can I? Can I? Episode of the second half of season seven. They do this thing now where they split it in half to draw it out throughout the year. So this is the second half of of the last season, which is starting at the time when normally we'd get the start of a season around uh, March, April. So, but yeah, the first episode I've got to say, which I did see over this weekend, not great. So I'm hoping it gets better. So I might have to argue. Those, yeah, you can argue those. Yeah. They, they're coming out on the ABC so close to the original. I mean, the ABC really knows what they're doing, playing a cult show. So it comes out on iView, comes out on the t- on the telly as soon as possible after it's been on in the UK. So, yeah, check it out. I, I'm hoping it'll get better. There's an interesting mystery brewing. I won't say too much because I don't want to spoil anyone. Uh, but the first episode, pretty dull. Foxtel is doing a similar thing with uh, Game of Thrones mm. as well. They're uh, they're doing. I think it's pretty much day and date. Uh, In fact, so two a- hours April April first, eight thirty was the was the date that they. Uh, no, no, four twenty. Oh, did they have an episode at four twenty? Two hours after it had been broadcast in the states. Four twenty a.m. No, four twenty p.m. Oh, okay. Mm. That's impressive. Very yes. clever. That's, wow. That, that, so basically, you will get it faster than downloading it. Yeah. 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 That's what you got to do these days. Yeah. Dave Lawson. Uh, yeah, when I heard the one thing uh, music come up, I thought, geez, I haven't got one thing to watch. Funny Some Videos, <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> is that still on? Is it still on? <laughs> I think it, it, it must be. It is. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, They've it's, got to have some use for all hilarious. those sound effects. It's, They're not using them in any other shows. It's so funny. Have you seen it? 
Do you, do, do, do you it, really like do, it? Do you, I, I do know, actually. I know, really, I know, I know, I know really some like people it. really like it. I don't get it. I've never. Got you know it. what? I don't get is why people still watch that when YouTube is a thing now. Oh, I know. If, I can. I watch that as well. If I'll you want to see babies falling off things and being attacked by animals, you can just go on YouTube. Or drunk people compilation is always good for a laugh. It's, um, but I've been no, I've been, I'm not watching TV at the moment. I've been I've been watching this show, Person of Interest, but that's for another day and another episode. Ne- next time, next time you're on, we're gonna Please, we're gonna I, review I, Person I'm, of Interest. I'm sort of jonesing to get back and good watch some more of that. Good, mm, Brad. Obsessed. <laughs> One thing. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, it will continue on the same time and day. Channel 11, Monday night, 9:30 p.m. American Horror Story. Oh, season two? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Mm. It is so okay. good. Se- season two of American Horror Story. Just wonderful. I've heard you say this so much, So much fun. I'll add it to my list. Yeah, dude, dude, don't worry about season one. Season two, so much fun. But, but is, is, I mean, is a woman the, who was on Friday Night Lights, is she in season two? No, she's not. Because I love her. Well, why don't you just watch Nashville then? Okay. You, you and Courtney can watch Nashville oh, together. Great. Uh, I would watch The Elegant Gentleman's Guide to Knife Fighting, 9pm Wednesday night uh, on ABC One. It is a new sketch comedy by the group who uh, brought you A Moody Christmas. Oh, what? Ah. What's it called? The Elegant Gentleman's Guide to Knife Fighting, 9pm on Wednesday. I reckon they'll win heaps of viewers with that title. Well, they got me. They, yeah, they got, I'm going to watch they, it. They got my interest. So it's the same team. It's um, it's it's uh, Miles Barlow uh, team, and it's it's Jungle Boys. Jungle Boys, yeah, great. Uh, so yeah, Phil um, Lloyd, Phil Lloyd, Phil Lloyd. Really looking forward to that. Yeah, oh, well, I see. I love Miles Barlow, not so much Moody Christmas. So I'm interested oh, in this. See, I loved oh. I loved Moody Christmas. I lo- I like them both. Pod, cast, done. Pork is on the table. Jeez, that Ben McKenzie can talk. Oh, oh pork. Hi, Ben. Pork. Hi. Uh, I don't have... Uh, there's no time for pork. Uh, no no time reason. For no uh, reason at all. No time about, for pork. What about Ben's cherry? We're oh, not doing I'm Ben's cherry. We're, ben is not the new Brenner. Uh, it's, I we can have, never replace Brenner. We, we, we have no, no Brenner. Brenner's, Brenner's gone overseas, uh, and if... Well, she's going overseas. She's about to go overseas. She's packing. She's packing her bags. She's got no time for us. Uh, so, look, I, I don't think we can replace her. We definitely can't replace her with uh, with uh, with Ben because uh, I, I don't even know if you've made out with anyone, Ben. <laughs> no one I'd care to name on box cutters. Right, right. That's pretty much the segment. Oh, so, it's got a reputation to uphold. I did, I did look up some facts. Do you oh, want facts? Sure, yes. sure. You were talking about the Good Friday appeal. Uh, I can reveal that since 2006 it has raised more money every single year. And in 2013, the total was sixteen million four hundred five thousand five hundred thirty-four dollars and sixty-five cents. Confetti cannon's gone off. We <laughs> Thank can you. See on the uh, the video podcast. Thank um, you. Give that they may grow. Wow, that's I, I a lot of money. That's great. There's another telethon traditionally that happens uh, every year in Australia. Uh, the Channel Seven. It used to be called the Channel Seven Perth Telethon. It's now just called the Channel Seven Telethon, mm. uh, which contributes money to the Channel Seven Telethon Trust. And the money from that trust goes to the Princess Margaret Hospital for Children and the Telethon Institute for Child Health Research. Is that also on Good Friday? No, it's at a different time of the year. Uh, And they've had some massive, massive guests, uh, including in 2011, they had a chat with Carrie Fisher that apparently went for an hour. Wow. And in 2012, Elton John performed Mm. live at the Perth Stadium. What? Now, I do want to just say... Did I mention we had John Rooney? Uh, (laughs) uh, John Deeks? 
No, I, did you? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I should I should caveat all of this that I researched this on the internet and it is April first as I research it. So that's no, some very specific uh, April Fool's gag. Someone is, be, is playing on you. Someone yeah. has gone there and said, "Yeah, I reckon some nerd is going to look this up who's into Star Wars. He'll want to know that Carrie Fisher was in it, <laughs> even though he wasn't." Perth well, Telephone is actually a thing. It's it's the day of the year for all the Perth analities. Oh. And that brings us to the That's end. Actually, what they call them. I know. I'm, I, and it's, I'm just going. I was just going to let that fall. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 335. I want to say thanks very much to Ben McKenzie, who you can see live uh, on uh, as part of Splendid Chaps, talking about Doctor Who at uh, the uh, at Trades Hall in Melbourne, April 6th at 5.45 and April 13th at a later time. Tickets available through Ticket Tech. No, Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster! Oh, so close! So good. That was good. He wasn't even looking at his notes, no. listeners. No. I watched him say all of that and didn't help him at all. T- of- tickets available at uh, Ticketmaster or go to the Comedy Festival website, but we'll also have uh, links on this site. You can find notes at boxcutters.net slash episode 335. Yes, Brett Cropley, now that I've said that it's the end of the show, you've while got something to while say. While you're at Soul, uh, check out Boxcutters' friend Dan Illigan a play in the bookstore oh. there. Yeah, yeah, I got a nice link to that. So. Five stars Isn't and it? four and a half star reviews in Adelaide, I believe. Mm-hmm. Also starring someone who was in Underbelly. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal, David Lawson, Ben em- McKenzie. <laughs> ben Evans <laughs> got my own name wrong. Ben Evans. Did, sure. I had a flashback. That used to be my name very many years ago. Oh, that was weird. I continue to be that properly. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Box Cutters is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. Hey Dave, so you know people can donate to Boxcutters to help us... Uh, to to mm. help us just I've keep, the, keep the show heard. alive. Help I've us heard grow. about this. So we uh, we mentioned it a, a few weeks ago in this part of the show, the just the secret bit at at the end, and someone donated three dollars a month. For how long? I don't know. It's an, until they until they stop it, and, 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 and until he stops it. But uh, he donated three dollars a month, and I think that's I think that's wonderful. I think lots of people can do that, uh, and that would help us uh, a lot. And you might get a very special message from a special someone. Mm -hmm. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Gutters.